The following is an audio sermon from Sacred City Church in Davenport, Iowa. For more free audio content, search Sacred City Church in your iTunes store. Our scripture for today is from the book of Ephesians, um, chapter 1, verses 11 through 14. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we, who are the first to hope in Christ, might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard of the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. This is the word of our Lord. Father, thank you for another day to study your word, to fellowship with our brothers and sisters in Christ, that this is a gift, that on this day that tragedy struck 10 years ago, um, it's a gift that we're here. It is a gift of your grace that we get to gather in freedom under the name of Christ, uh, that we get to break bread together, that we get to sing songs and worship, um, that we have a building. God, this is all a work of your grace, that we were not a people, but now we are a people. This is an absolute work of your grace, and we give you all the credit and all the glory. We ask that you would move on our mind, and you would move on our heart, and you would move on our hands today, that um, we submit all of ourselves to you. Um, We position ourselves under your authority so that we can receive and that we can hear from the Almighty God. We ask that you would speak today. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, Today we find ourselves in the first chapter of Ephesians. Last week we touched on these three verses as well, verses 11 through 14. Uh, We saw in them, if you remember, the basis of our Christian hope, okay? The foundation of our Christian hope. Now, Christian hope, I'm trying to to bring some new life to that term because that's a term that's probably a junk drawer term. That's kind of like Christian hope sounds weak sauce. It just sounds lame. sounds like there's no unction behind Christian hope. That is not what we're talking about. This Christian hope is the powerful stuff, right? It's the dynamite stuff. This is the, our Christian hope is the stuff of the future that can reach back into today, grab us by the collar today, and change our today. We're talking about reality that's going to happen in the future that has that kind of power. Uh, we saw how the res- resurrection of Jesus Christ was the beginning of all of new creation. It was the beginning that God planted a seed in the resurrection of Jesus that was the beginning of him renewing and restoring all of creation. If you missed it last week, uh, I would encourage you, that was the other announcements I forgot, um, to check out the podcast. Just iTunes, search Sacred City, boom, you'll find it. We've got three podcasts up right now, and uh, this one will be up there. We've only missed one, I think. So uh, we've officially got got that started. Uh, This week we're going to sit down in this passage a little bit. Um, We're going to build some thoughts off of what we learned last week. Basically what we're going to talk about is how does Christian hope, the future new heavens and new earth, affect us today? How does that affect us today? What does that practically look like? It just so happens that today is the 10th anniversary of 9-11. And I think it fitting to think back on the devastation of that day as we contemplate the inheritance of that God has given us in the new creation. Um, I was, uh, I'm sure that the majority of us here, I saw a lot of Facebook statuses today, I'm sure, sure the majority of us here 
can remember where we were a decade ago. You can probably remember what you were doing, where you were, or who you're with. I was at a friend's house um, getting ready for a day of construction. Uh, Marcus actually reminded me. He was, w- he was with me most of the day. Um, when, when the planes hit and everything, right, chaos kind of ensued, I remember I was shocked. I was horrified. I was angered. I was deeply saddened. And uh, many people wondered, many people asked me, how could God let something like this happen? This is a question that I've been asked at least a hundred times over. The typical responses are twofold. How can God allow something terrible to happen like that? Basically, there's two common responses. Number one, who the heck do you think you are to ask a question like that? All right, that's, that's usually the, the more aggressive punch in the mouth. You're an idiot. You're not God. You have a finite mind. You can't think of things like that. Don't try to be God. You know, who do you think you are to question God? That's one response. And the second response is, you know what? We can't really know. We can't really care. So just don't worry about it and just believe. All right? The first one's just too harsh, and the second one's just too soft. All right? They're not adequate answers to why God allows some terrible things and some difficult things and things like 9-11 and things in our own life, why God allows those things. It's just, it's not an adequate answer. Neither of those answers, so either just don't worry about it and because, and, you know, you can never contemplate it or, hey, we'll never know and just let's just believe and just move forward and don't ever think about it, okay? <clears throat> Neither one really helps us understand evil. There are shreds of truth in each one. We are finite, and we cannot grasp all the ways of God, and we, do not, and we do need to trust that he is good. But can we know why? Can we know why these things happen? Can we know why a good God allows bad things to happen? Now, I'll be honest to tell you, I don't, we can't know 100%. Um, there is no easy answer. There is no surefire answer. But I think um, what I'm going to try to do tonight is give us a few hints. Um, I believe that God has given us many hints. Uh, maybe we'll, we won't be completely satisfied, but maybe we can see things from a slightly different view today. I want to offer a different thought this afternoon. I want to start by looking back. We've been learning in our MCs uh, through the story of God that God is a God who comes after people. His, his people consistently rebel. They consistently walk away. And God consistently comes after, right? He consistently humbles himself and comes down and meets with people, talks with people, instead of just wiping them off the face of the planet, right? That this is it's shocking when you understand who God is because God has every right to destroy every person on the planet because they're sinners who have rebelled against his kingdom and he is the king of all creation. He has the right to annihilate every single person. But God being rich in mercy, decides not to. He graciously covered Adam and Eve with animal skins, sacrificing the life of an animal for the first time to cover their sin and shame. He saved Noah. He promised a nation to Abraham. He delivered that nation from Egyptian slavery and bondage. And on and on and on the story goes. God graciously pursues his people. He, ad- he identifies himself, this is big, he identifies himself with jacked up people and he rescues 
those who are afflicted. But God went even farther than that in Jesus Christ. As Christians, we believe that Jesus, God's Son, divinity became vulnerable to, divinity, God, became vulnerable to and invested in and involved in suffering and death himself. He didn't come as a general or an emperor or a king. He came as a carpenter. He was born in a manger in weakness and poverty. So not only does the God of the Old Testament, the God of the Hebrew Scriptures, not only does that God um, identify with the meek and lowly, not only does he care for the outsider and the downtrodden, but this is special to Christianity. God humbles himself and becomes one of us in the form of Jesus Christ. God comes down and walks among us. So not only does God kind of get how we feel, or, or you know, he, he comes down and he walks alongside of us through the Old Testament, but then in the birth of Jesus, in the incarnation, he comes and walks the earth as a man to actually feel the weight of sin. Now, as a man, he, he, he gets to experience what it feels like to touch a, a, a rose with thorns. He gets to um, experience temptation, to be tempted to eat more than he should and drink more than he should and, and look at things he shouldn't and sleep with things people he shouldn't sleep with. And he, he, he gets this temptation now. So God humbles himself and walks the earth, and now he can experience things like pain and sorrow and grief. But God doesn't stop there. It's on the cross where we see God's love for us most clearly. Listen to this quote by Tim Keller. On the cross, we, suff we sufferers finally see to our shock that God now knows too what it is to lose a loved one in an unjust attack. And so you see what this means? This is how John, uh, John Stott, who recently passed away and went to be with Jesus, this is how John Stott wrote, I could never myself believe in a God if it were not for the cross. In the real world of pain, how could one worship a God who is immune to it? How could we worship a God who is immune to pain? As we're going through pain, as we experience tragedy and loss and hurt and pain, how could we worship a God who could never feel pain? The reality is, in Jesus Christ, God became man and felt pain and experienced pain. Took the wrath, the injustice upon himself. God knows what it's like to lose a son in an unjust attack. Literally, a terrorist attack. God knows what it's like. Do you see what this means? Yes. Okay. Uh, we don't know the reason God allows evil and suffering to continue, but we know what the reason isn't. We don't know what the reason is, but we know what the reason isn't. We know what it, we know what it can't be. It can't be that he doesn't love us. It can't be that he doesn't care. God so loved us, and he hates, suff and, and he hates suffering that he was willing to come down and get involved in it. God so loves us. He so cares for us. 
And he came down and experienced it. He came down and took our place. And therefore the cross is an incredibly empowering hint. Okay, it's only a hint, but if you grasp it, if you grasp this, if you get what, what I'm talking about tonight, and this, that's why I didn't want to get all excited and jump around and, you know, because this is a thought that's so poignant that if you get it, if it can drop, it's going to change you. It can transform you and give you strength. And in, in, in our text in Ephesians, we see this is the progression of, his, of Paul's thought. He goes, he's in a prison cell, right? And he just erupts in worship. He erupts in a doxology, a 202-word, um, just word vomit is what it is, man. Just coming out, and he says, you have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. You have been purchased. You have been adopted. You have, I mean, he just goes off, right? He names all these different things. And then in verse 10, the key to the entire book of Romans, actually the key to the entire Bible is in verse 10. If you can understand verse 10, you can understand the, sto you can understand the story of God. You can understand where, th where this story is headed. For a plan... Look at verse 10. So we did all these things, right? One through nine, or one through nine, he did all these things. As a, verse 10, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven, and things on earth. Now, I'm not too happy with that uh, translation. Uh, every commentator says the word is technically not unite, it's reunite. All right, it's reunite. As a plan for the fullness of time to reunite all things in him, things in heaven, and things are on earth. From the story of God, you know that things once were united in Christ in the Garden of Eden. Things were good. The world that we all wish, the world that we all want, the world that we all desire, the world that we all dream about was the Garden of Eden. Now, in your mind, they might be two separate things. Okay, because you've got an idyllic, you know, some kind of cracked out view of, of uh, Eden, right? You, you, some weird, I don't, I don't know what your view of, of that is, but it's the world that you dream of. It's the world that you all want. And that is where things are headed, to unite all things back in Christ. Now listen, that leads us to our second hint, okay? Our first hint, why does God allow bad things to happen? Our first hint was, let's just look at the cross, Okay? Our first hint to maybe we can possibly understand how a good God allows bad things to happen, our first hint is to look at the cross. Maybe, maybe the reason God allows evil into the world, maybe, is so that he could experience it himself. So he could put himself inside that system where evil could come against him, where he could feel the wrath of evil, he could feel the pain of evil, he could feel evil touch him, he could feel the wounds of evil. Maybe God allowed evil into the world so that he could experience it himself to show, his, to show us and to show all of creation his love. Now the second hint is right there in verse 10. Um, we started by looking back, but now let's look to the future. Um, 
Verse 10 is a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. And then last week we talked about in him, in Christ. If you are in Christ, you have obtained an inheritance. But then in verse 14 it tells us, well, kind of. You've obtained an inheritance, yes, but actually you've only obtained the down payment to that inheritance. And there's more coming. Do you remember that? There's more on the way. Say more on the way. All right, there was more of the same on the way. What God gave you, the Holy Spirit that communicates his love to you, that tells you you have been adopted, you have been chosen, you are a son or a daughter of God, that spirit is only a down payment for what's going to be completed in the future. At the fullness of time, the resurrection of our body, all things will be united in Christ. All right, we talked about that a little bit last week. That is the inheritance that we're going to possess in the future. Now listen, in John 11... Jesus Christ says, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. In Jesus Christ, the new creation, the future, has came to today and affected it. It's invaded our time. All right? Jesus Christ is the only one walking around with a new created body, all right? In the new heavens and new earth, Jesus is the firstborn, Romans 8 tells us, of many brethren. We will... Get a body like his, but right now he is the firstborn. Okay? Listen to um, what one of today's leading historians says about this resurrection. Okay? Resurrection in the first century meant someone physically, thoroughly dead, becoming physically, thoroughly alive again. Not simply surviving or entering a purely spiritual world whatever that might be. That's from N.T. Wright. The idea that we've adopted into our culture and into our church that when we die, heaven will exist in this ethereal realm where we float around as spirits on clouds is not the future hope of Christians. Okay? If you were to die as a Christian today, you do go to heaven, the intermediary state, but there's more to come. That's a pit stop on the road to new creation. Okay? God is not prepping us or preparing us for some ethereal, abstract, spiritual existence that is just a kind of compensation for the life that we lost. Resurrection means the restoration to us of the life we lost, the physical life we lost. New heavens and new earth means this body, this world, our bodies, our homes, our loved ones will be restored, returned, perfected, and beautified. They will be given back to us. Physically giving back, given back to us. Okay? Now, I wanna, we're going to check out three scriptures. We're just going to go three scriptures. Um, this teaching will drip throughout this entire series. You'll be getting little pieces of the new creation and, and what's it going to look like um, in, in, in coming series. I'm not, I, I can't spend too much time on it. I just wanted to, to drop some things in today. I want you to go to Isaiah chapter 11. I want you to pick up some things that will be in the new creation. Isaiah chapter 11. <clears throat> Eleven, uh, chapter 11, verse 6. When you're there, say there. Okay, let's read. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, 
and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like an ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. I want you to see something. Now, this is pretty, uh, I think we read this a lot, and we, we think about new creation, we think about what's coming, but just from this little section of, uh, of scriptures, um, this might cook our noodle a little bit when it comes to thinking about the afterlife, right? When it comes to thinking about new creation. We've got animals, okay? I know I've been told by people that there won't be animals in heaven because animals don't have a soul, okay? Well, according to Isaiah, animals will be in the new creation. All animals. Looks like snakes and lions and tigers and bears, and they all lay down together and cuddle up, and, right? What else is going to be there? Looks like a nursing child is going to be there. <laughs> Elias likes that. <laughs> yes, I'm making it. <laughs> nice. Right? And this also gives us some hints. What, what, what's he saying that the lion and the lamb will lay down together? What's that mean? Peace. Right? Peace. No threat of terror. Right? If there is airplanes, we're not going to get patted down to get on them. Okay? You know? No hurt. No pain. Peace amongst people. You can speak to someone and they not get offended. You don't have to interpret what, everyone's, what people say. Like, what did they really mean by that? Right? Like, I think that was a compliment. Kind of. Right? You don't have to read between the lines with people. You don't have to constantly try to figure, how do I say this to that person? There'll be peace in heaven. Let's go to, now let's go to the back of the book. Let's go to Revelation 21. Revelation 21, verse 1. When you're there, say there. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. All right, from this text we see new heavens, new earth. They come down, they meet in the middle, right? We've got a new city. All right, we have a new city. We're not going to all live out in the middle of the country somewhere. There will be buildings. There will be houses. There will be commerce. There will be things going on. There'll be city. What else do we see from there? You see that 
the greatest thing about heaven, the thing that we can't explain, that we can't even contemplate, the thing that will blow your mind if you try, is in the city of God. The dwelling place of man is with God, and the dwelling place of God is with man. God is good, so we don't have to look elsewhere, right? God is the ultimate good. God is the, the thing, the source, the relationship that will satisfy every craving you have. Every sexual craving, every just physical hunger, every desire, God satisfies them all. God is the source and the supply of all of our desire. And we, once again, will walk with him and talk with him face to face. So we can get all excited about what we're going to get to do in heaven, you know? Will we be able to fly and will we get to do it? We'll, we'll, we'll get, we can get all excited about that. But that's nothing. That's drops in the bucket compared to what we really get to do, and that's to dwell, to be. If you're like me, it's pretty difficult sometimes just to sit and just be. You've got to do something. There's time, we got to produce, we got to make something happen. And I should be doing this, I should be doing that. Oh, I just, you get a little antsy. This generation, right? You, you get bored really easy if you're not texting and Facebooking and Twittering and playing words with friends and reading all at the same time, right? We, we get a little bored with that. Not in heaven. Heaven will just be, we'll be at peace. Our soul will be at peace. The core of our being will be complete. All right, look at uh, verse 22 of chapter 21. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives it light. And its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk. And the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day. And there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations. But nothing unclean will ever enter it nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. As we get to walk and, and dwell and exist with God, we don't need a church building. We don't need a place to gather. He is our temple. Worship will be... Right now we worship in part. Right now we love in part. In heaven, in new creation, we will love in full. We think we love God right now. You will love God perfectly in heaven. You think you love your family now. You love your family perfectly. Selfishness removed. Some of, what you're, some of us come to God to get something out of it. I come to God so he fixes my husband. I come to God so he gives me um, enough money to take care of my family. I come to God so he cleans up my kids. I come to God so he gives me good kids. I come to God. Whatever those reasons are, they'll be gone in heaven. We will exist to worship him fully and we'll be happy and we'll be joyful. We don't need 
And right now we come together and it represents the unity of the body of Christ. That some of us, like you've heard the illustration that Paul uses, that we're a body, that we make up, you know, every single one of you are needed. Every single one of you are crucial. Every single one of you have been given a gift. And when you don't show up for whatever reason, to missional community or whatever, then a part of the body is lacking. Right? You might think you're insignificant, but that is not the case. Every single one of us has been given a spiritual gift for the building up, the training, the equipping, the sending of the body. You might have an experience that when you come to missional community and I bring one of my friends or one of my neighbors in, one of your experiences might resonate with them. And you think it's meaningless, but it's a gift you're bringing to the body. It's a gift that God uses in the body. And we've been trained Far too, far too often in the evangelical world, in our churches, that the paid staff, the guys up front, are the ones who do the ministry, and they're the ones that we really need. That's not the case. And that is not this church. We are a missional church. Every single one of you have a spiritual gift and are needed in your missional community every single week. You're needed there. And listen, this is temporary. This is a gift that God's given us for this earth. In new creation, we're all complete. In new creation, when we come together and we're unified in worship today and we're unified on, on Wednesday nights or Thursday nights, then we leave and we're separated. We'll never, we'll never be separated in heaven. We'll be complete in heaven. This is, a, this is something unique that we get to do on this earth that we won't get to do in heaven. The city has no sun, right? Because God is, God is the light. I don't know what that's going to look like. That's going to be crazy, right? No sun. I mean, thank, or thank God there's no night. I'm just stoked about that. I am so, I mean, I don't know about, the only problem is like bonfires and stuff. I don't know how that works, but I'm excited that I don't have to sleep, okay? Because sleep is a waste of time, right? It's a waste of half my life. So I'm excited in heaven. I will not be sleeping. My wife might be. <clears throat> but I want you to look at verse 24. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory. Look at this. The kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, into the city. The kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations. What does that mean? The glory and the honor of the nations. That's just stuff, man. That's just culture. The nations of the earth. Guys, this isn't going to be like a little America when we get up there, right? It's not going to be like everybody speaking English. And we all fit in, you know? This is going to be the glory. The kings of the earth are bringing the glory of the nations. That means cultural activity is still going to go on in the new creation, in the new heavens, and the new earth. Music making, arts, the arts. I, I don't even know. I don't even know about commerce and business and all that kind of stuff. But the kings of the earth are bringing their culture into the new creation and the new earth. So that means culture making will continue into the new creation. Now listen, I want you to listen to this. I have a quote. Um, from N.T. Wright. Every act of love, gratitude, and kindness, 
Every work of art or music inspired by the love of God and delight in the beauty of his creation. Every minute spent teaching a severely handicapped child to read or to walk. Every act of care and nurture, of comfort and support for one's fellow non-human creatures. And of course, every prayer, all spirit-led teaching, every deed that spreads the gospel, builds up the church, embraces and embodies holiness rather than corruption, and makes the name of Jesus honored in the world. All of this will find its way through the resurrecting power of God into the new creation that God will one day make. That is the logic of the mission of God. Art, music, love, work, service, good deeds done, teaching done, discipleship done, love done in the name and for the glory of Christ will make its way into the new creation through the resurrection, resurrecting power of Jesus Christ. When I was 16, I got this little S15 pickup truck for my 16th birthday. And it's a great little truck. It was like a 1985, I think, pickup truck, stick shift. Man, I loved that thing. It was money. I remember I got it, and I couldn't drive it for like a month, because I was in, or a couple months, I was in driver's ed. And I would just go out, and I'd clean it every day. New car, the new car, uh, you know, actually, was, I remember it was a $100 bill, fake $100 bill. Uh, car freshener hanging in there. Things smelled smelled like money, baby. It was it was awesome, and I, I drove that thing probably for four years. And I remember, I think I was a sophomore in college. And as a sophomore in college, I started having really genius ideas like this car, this this truck, it's probably going to break down any day. It's kind of it's getting old. And, it's probably going to break down any day. So I made this genius decision that only a sophomore in college can make. And I'm just, I'm just done putting money into this car. I'm just done putting money into it. And, well, of course, if you're done putting money in it, that means you're done putting oil in it and uh, getting the oil change and some, you know, fairly uh, routine maintenance. It's just, you know, I have money for it. I'm not going to put money in this old thing. It's going to burn up. It's going to die. It's going to de be dead anyways. Why put money in it, right? And a few months later, or it was probably about a year later, you know, the inevitable happened. <laughs> Engine shuts down. It's over, right? Engine's locked up, done. I had, had no oil in it. And <clears throat> I think that's how many, many Christians think of this world. It's going to burn up anyways. It's just going to break down anyways. Why put any money into it? Why put any time into it? That's not the Christian hope. The Christian hope is every cent you put into building the kingdom right now, working for the kingdom, right now will be carried over into the new creation. Now listen, I need to make a distinction here. <clears throat> we talked about eschatology last, year, last week, about how we're already but not yet, that Jesus started the kingdom when he came on earth, but he's going to uh, consummate or finish the kingdom when he comes back the second time. Listen, some, a lot of people in charismatic circles, they have what we call an over-realized eschatology. What that means is they believe they can build the kingdom now. They can usher in God's kingdom now. They can bring heaven to earth now. Okay? 
We can do that. We can give glimpses into the kingdom. We can give snapshots into the kingdom, but we cannot build the kingdom now. Only God builds the kingdom. God is the one who builds his kingdom. But we, listen, this is the, this, here's the distinction. We can build for the kingdom. We can build for the kingdom. All the good work, all the good things that we do through the grace and goodness of Jesus Christ, through his resurrecting power at the resurrection, at the second coming, those things make their way into new creation. Okay? We can't bring the kingdom to the earth right now. That's why Jesus said, he prayed to the Father, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. We can't go out and make it happen. We pray for it to come. Only God can do that. <clears throat> so uh, here, here's, real quick, as, as I'm closing, three things that Christian hope does. Real hope, right? This solid future reality. Three, hope, three things that it does. Number one, our bad experiences, our bad experiences will work toward your ultimate future. Our bad experiences today will work toward your ultimate future. What the heck does that mean? How does my bad experiences work toward my ultimate future? Listen to this uh, quote by Lewis, C.S., that is. That is what mortals misunderstand. It's from The Great Divorce. They say of some temporal suffering, no future bliss can make up for it. Not knowing that heaven, once attained, will work backwards and turn even the agony into a glory. He says, when we get in our flesh, if we don't understand our Christian hope, we can be going through things that are so difficult, so hurtful, so painful, that, we, that we'll say, this hurts so bad, what, what the heck can heaven do for it? What, that's so far off. That's, that's pie in the sky. That can do nothing. That can't help me. The, the thought of heaven, the thought of new creation, that doesn't help me. And Lewis says, oh, no, 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 you don't understand. Because when that's attained, when we get to the new creation, it will be so powerful that it will work itself backwards and make even our worst moments glory, work for glory. How does that mean? What does that mean? How does it work backwards? How does it bring glory? I bet you if I went around this room and I said, well, it's just it's the, easiest, the easiest way to say it is this. The, the bad times in our life make the good times even better. If you've been through a tough time, when you're in the good time, you appreciate it so much more. The bad times, the pain, the hurt, when we get, when we get to heaven, we're going to be able to, it's going to make the good stuff even better. We're going to have a memory of that. We're going to have, we're going to be, rem remember what it was like to struggle. We're going to remember what it was like to be hungry. We're going to remember what it was like to desire something, but to beat our flesh down, to, to refuse to give into it, to, to lay something down, to, to go without, to give something away that was our choice, precious possession. We're going to, we're going to feel that in heaven. And heaven's going to be that much brighter because of it. Um, there's this, there's a line in uh, Lord of the Rings. Well, it's not in the movie, it's in the book. Um, when Sam, Sam Gamgee, right? If you know Sam Gamgee, he's the, kind of the funny little sidekick of Frodo. He wakes up, and this is at the very end when things go really bad, right? It looks like everybody's going to, he doesn't know what happens. He passes out. He wakes up, and this is what he says. He sees Gandalf first. He says, Gandalf, I thought you were dead. But then I thought I was dead. And, 
And he goes, is everything sad going to come untrue? That's the first moment. He woke up and he thought, I thought you were dead. Oh, I thought I was dead. Is everything sad going to come untrue? The answer is yes. In the resurrection of Jesus Christ, everything sad is going to come untrue. So number one, your bad experiences will work backwards and will work toward your ultimate future. Number two, your good experiences can never be taken away from you. Your good experiences can never be taken away from you. Everything good you experience on this earth, we get to bring into new creation with us. Relationship, love, children, all of that, right? All, all the, the thoughts of that, the stuff that it brings to our life, those good things we get to bring into new creation. And thirdly, the, this is my favorite, the best is yet to come. Number one, bad stuff that we go through now will make heaven and new creation even better. Number two, the good stuff cannot be taken away from you. Number three, the best is yet to come. That's Christian hope. The best is yet to come. God is reuniting all things in Christ. He's summing them up. You will never, I'm going to tell you this, man. This is why I wanted to, I didn't want to get excited and, and, and get loud tonight because I honestly could, can say this. You'll never hear anything better than that. You'll never hear anything better than that. Everything sad is going to come untrue. He's reuniting and summing up all things in Christ. A perfect world. No jealousy, no anger, no fear, no pain, no tears, no hunger, no poverty, no children dying of AIDS, no drugs. We don't need them. Everything's sad. It's going to come untrue.